Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, and I'm sitting here with Brian for our episode today. This is the first time uh, we're recording an episode in person together. Uh, well, this weekend is, right? Yeah, yesterday we recorded our fourth anniversary episode, which you'll hear in a few weeks. Yep. This is the first time you'll ever hear us <laughs> together in person in four years. Yeah, and I think we got over some of the awkwardness of it yesterday. I think, yeah. I mean, you'll probably hear some awkwardness in a few weeks. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. You'll hear some awkwardness <laughs> every episode. today, too. <laughs> we guarantee that. Yeah. Similar amount of awkwardness. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something we're known for here. Um, it, oh, but by, by the way, what, what do you think of uh, recording in person versus... Uh, the Zoom or the, the the usual remote experience. You know, surprisingly, it goes pretty well. Yeah, I think at first we had no idea where to look. I know. <laughs> now we're making a weird amount of eye contact. Yeah, now we're actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a little weird. It is. It is. But I think we'll that episode didn't really rely on notes, so we were really just looking at each other yeah. the whole time. I like that. It was very conversational. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this one I, I think we'll be going back and forth a bit. So today we're going to be talking about I Know What You Did Last Summer, the 1997 horror film directed by Jim Gillespie and written by Kevin Williamson and starring Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan Phillippe, and Freddie Prince Jr. In this film, a group of high schoolers mistakenly kill someone during a hit and run and one year later are called upon by a mysterious killer to pay the consequences. <laughs> You've been called upon. Yes, it is your time. Hey, you know, this was requested too a while back by, oh. by Bjorn. Really? Oh, cool. Probably like a year ago or something. That's so awesome. Thanks for your patience, Bjorn. Yeah. We're, we're getting it. Yeah. Well, like, when was the last time you saw this one? Honestly, well, you know, I think I saw it. I saw it in the theater in 1997. Really? Okay. I think I saw it again on home video, probably in 98 or 99. Yeah. But I don't, I've definitely not seen it in 20 years. Yeah, same. It's definitely been a long time. Uh, how did you get in the theater in 1997? Because we wouldn't have been 17 or 18 by then, would we? As we cover these late 90s stories, I actually like talked to my parents about it. I was like, did I go to a ton of movies back then? Like, yeah, we would buy you the ticket and you'd go in. <laughs> That's awesome. They would like bring me to the theater, drop me off, buy me the ticket and... And just, I mean, I'd be with friends. I wasn't alone. Oh, but. sure. Here's our kid. Uh, right. We're buying the art ticket for him. Yeah. I think 1996 is the year they started letting me see okay. our movies in the theater. Because I know I saw Scream in the theater. Oh, interesting. So, like, <laughs> you were 13 and they're like, we're cool. Yeah. Give it, okay. I could legally, I could go buy a PG-13 ticket by myself. Right. Which I would often do. Right. But I think they were okay with R. I think they knew I had seen yeah. <laughs> R-rated stuff already. Yeah. And I think as long as they knew it wasn't something outrageous. Like, like a bunch I don't of teenagers getting killed. Yeah, like I don't think I could go see like a psychosexual thriller. Yeah. With their permission. But I think horror movies are like whatever. Okay. It's interesting that like, yeah, uh, I think sex. Uh, yeah, I feel like at that age, parents are more worried. Or at least like in the 90s, I remember my parents also being more worried about like seeing breasts than seeing a bunch of people getting murdered. Yeah. I think once you know your kid... You're like, okay, this kid isn't going to kill anybody, <laughs> but he might go have some sex with people. <laughs> God forbid. <Yeah. laughs> this kid seems pretty horny. Yeah. The bedroom door's locked. A decent amount time, of time. Yeah. Some hard socks are coming out of there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Damn. Uh, yeah. I, I wonder if that's changed today. Like, uh, I don't know, like as a parent uh, today, like, would you be more worried about your kids seeing breasts or uh, a bunch of murders happening like in this film? I think I'd be, I don't know. I think personally, there may be some differences of opinion between me and my wife. I think once the kid gets to be about like, I don't know, 10. Yeah. 
start start making some decisions based on how they're doing and stuff. Sure. Like I saw R-rated movies when I was ten. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think you could just decide. Like, I'd be fine showing my kid, like, Die Hard at 10. Oh, sure. Although, I don't know. I'd almost be more willing to go nudity than violence. Just I think so, too. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's different today, too, with, like... Yeah. I don't know. I would layer in, like, one breast by the time they're 10. Right. Maybe when they're 15, bring in the second one. And then uh, by the time, that, yeah, maybe they're 18. You've got, like, a slow... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I assume there'll be a graph of breasts. Yeah, yeah. I think okay. that today's... Just like landscape with so many mass shootings and school shootings, yeah, I'm less likely to be like, oh yeah, watch Die Hard, it's awesome. Exactly, it is awesome. Yeah, but it's just like, I don't know. Looking back on stuff like that today, which is like gunfire all over the place, it's just yeah, a little, it hits a little different. It does. Yeah, violence is definitely something, uh, and with kids, I feel like is more. Uh, I, yeah, I almost feel like more like sadistic knife violence might yeah. be better because like this is not. You know, sure. Like this kind of stuff doesn't happen every day. Yeah, yeah. Gun violence does happen every day. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this movie's like a slasher, and uh, it's a a, a dude with a hook. Uh, Dude with a hook. Yeah. So maybe yeah, not not as like uh, controversial as like gun violence. And this um, isn't ultra violent. Like this is a movie I'd definitely be like, sure, you could watch this when you're ten. I was depending surprised. on the type of kid, you know. Yeah, I was surprised this was rated R after watching it. I, I kind of had to go back and check because it's not very gory or anything. They could have very easily slipped into a PG thirteen with some minor edits. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think the producers at one point complained about the gore to the director. Oh. And he reshot a, a kill scene with more gore. To well, add it in. not even gore, but more violence. Why were they? Uh, more blood. Excuse me. Yeah. Why were they, like, pulling back on the violence and gore on this one? I don't know. I think he just didn't see it fit to include that much gore or mm. violence, which is strange. Yeah, that is what you're Because, like, Scream had just come out the year before, and it was it pretty some, gory and bloody. Yeah, yeah, it definitely had some good blood. Yeah, shots. and right, and it's like an homage to... Not even an homage. It's just like basically doing what 80s slashers did. Yeah, right. But yeah, a lot less violent. There are several like deaths that aren't really even shown. I know, like it kind of happened off screen. It's kind of weird. It is, yeah, the editing and stuff. That uh, struck me going back to it. Yeah, yeah. Watching this, it didn't feel like a traditional slasher because of that. It feels a little pared down. But based on a book from 1973 by Lois Duncan, you ever read her stuff? No, have you? Yeah, I feel like I used to read a, a few of her books growing up. Uh, kind of a cool, like, mystery suspense writer. Okay. Uh, so I think, yeah, they definitely layered on the slasher element here. Because, yeah, her books, I don't feel like, had a lot of, like, killings going on. Gotcha. And I, I think she was kind of opposed to how they did this film. She was. And I've, I'm guessing, like, her her viewpoint had changed a bit on violence and the depiction of it in entertainment. Because her daughter, uh, many years after the publication of the novel... Her daughter was shot and killed while driving. Oh, shit. So then, like, seeing this movie about someone who, yeah. you know, dies in a vehicle, vehicular incident. Right. And then, like, seeing the violence sensationalized in the murders afterwards, I, I don't think it sat right with her. Yeah, that's kind of messed up, actually. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's sad. It is messed up. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I assume, I don't know if she's still around or not, Lois Duncan. I feel like uh, if she was writing back then, she's probably... Maybe yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, let's I'm look that sure. up. Um, it's also uh, tied to an urban legend about the hook, which I feel like we all know that story. Uh, did you grow up with that story? I did. I mean, I definitely heard variations of that growing up. Yeah, that's a fun one. I like that. It is kind of a fun one. And I, th- I think that was, I didn't take notes on that, but that the hook urban legend is said to be spawned by like real life murders that happened in the 50s wow. that were happening in like 
lover's lane, like make out point type places. Oh, cool. It was like one killer in a certain area. It, oh, wow. So there was like a real life inspiration. For there that. was, I, th- I think that's assumed to be the inspiration. That's pretty cool. And he was, he was not hooked, like just killing people. It was like, he was intense. He was doing wow. weird shit to oh kill people. So I had no idea. I got yeah. to look that up. That's awesome. Kind of wild. He didn't have a hook though as a hand, did he? He didn't have a hook. Okay. Yeah, that's a great story. It's like that uh, holds up around campfires as past two generations and stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, it's still a, it's a creepy little story. It is, yeah. And uh, and I, I like uh, I, I think in this film in the beginning they talk about like how there's so many different variations on it and like how it kind of uh, is a warning against like premarital sex maybe. Right. Um, there's something like phallic maybe in nature around it or. Oh man, I when I read that I was like, this shit, this phallic <laughs> shit is such a stretch. Like the hook is phallic. Yeah. And there's a version of the story where they hear about the psycho killer yep. decide not to like do their little hookup and drive home and when they get home they see a hook in the door oh yeah and it represents castration oh like, wow come on <laughs> Too much. that's yeah. a stretch that's a stretch and a half do you, are you also like against the idea that slashers are uh tied to like that phallic fear or? i think we've talked about this before yeah. I'm, I'm pretty uh yeah i'm not gonna go out and say no there's nothing to that i think it's a stretch i, I think some somebody yeah. put it out there yeah and it's just get built upon and built upon. Hmm. I could see it in a way. Right. I, I And you see like Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. There's a scene that really like ties uh, the phallicness yeah. of like the chainsaw into the mix. Right. But I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I'm a believer of it. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, the knife and like slashing and the fact that like most of the time it is targeting like co-eds and stuff. Uh, I do think there's like a in, inherent uh, some kind of like sexualization of that going on there. Okay. But, yeah, I'm not willing to say, like, this is fucking stupid. Although yeah. it is really stupid in this urban legend. Like, okay. Applying that to the hook story and, yeah. like, saying that the hook coming off is castration. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. I, yeah, that's a, that's a big jump to <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah, um, I agree. But I'm not, I'm not completely anti. I think it's overused. Okay. Okay. Um, but you're a phallicist. I'm, uh, yeah, put me in the phallicist camp. But, yeah, I, I agree with you on this uh, castration thing. Um, writer wise, you got Kevin Williamson who had just done Scream, uh, like a year or two before this and, uh, wrote, I think he wrote the script for this before he wrote Scream. He did. I think he even wrote it years before Scream and it was kind of like sitting on the shelf and Scream's popularity was like, all right, let's rush this thing into production and and get it out. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Like, so this comes out two years after it does really feel like a copy off Scream. Uh, I feel like these two movies are really cited with like late nineties revitalization of the slasher genre. I, I, I see that, but what other slasher? Like, was there like a, a big slasher thing at the end of the '90s? You know, I'm looking over my notes, and I was like, "Oh, I meant to like look up what movies that, yeah. you know, what did it spawn?" And I think that is true in a sense, but like, yeah, there's not a ton. I mean, yeah. I think of Urban Legend. Oh, um, maybe Final Destination. I can't remember when that came out. You'd put that as a slasher, though. I I think that part of that uh, title. Like this, or that superlative, this Bond mm-hmm. slasher boom, it's applied to movies that aren't necessarily slashers. Oh. Or that maybe kind of function that way. Like yep. Final Destination kind of functions as a slasher, even sure. though it's not okay. necessarily. Um, what's another one? The Faculty. Faculty, yeah. Kind of slashery. Kind of slashery. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's talking about those types of movies. And even the sequels to those type of movies. Like yeah. Scream 2 was this year. Then there was a sequel to I Know What You Did Last Summer in, yeah. what, 1998? I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Right. 
So yeah, the yeah. sequels. I think that's a decent amount of movies to like call it a boom, and and they a lot of them did big box office numbers. Oh so. yeah, I thought the formula that these brought back and like the common thread we see with like those films is the group of main characters it focuses on, like a group of like four five high school friends. You're not yeah. like at a camp. You're like in a suburb or something. Uh, something going on school wise. Uh, that because I, I feel like early '90s didn't have that much of that. Did you? I don't think so. I mean, early 90s, the slashers had kind of died down. You had Candyman in 1992. But right. I think it was mostly, like, the sequels, the, like, you know, were in, like, the fives and six and seven numbers of right. the sequels to right. the Halloweens, the Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yep. And some of the sequels get a little bit less away from the teens. But I think at that point it was just, like almost silly like it was people did not have hold those type of movies in high regard because right. they had been done to death yeah yeah i wonder if a horror maybe as a box office kind of dropped like by mid 90s and this guy yes. like brought it back like a boom or something yeah i think scream that's part of it too that's part of that superlative sure these brought horror back into the box office yeah scream did really well this is the this was on a budget of 17 million and made 125 million it was number one at the box office three weekends in a row. Mm-hmm. Its third weekend out was Halloween weekend, and it led the box office then. Right. It is the seventh highest grossing slasher film of all time Wow. box office mojo. Crazy. Oh, my God. Would you like to hear the top ten? Sure. Let's hear it. Halloween 2018 is number one. Uh, wait, are these dollars adjusted? No, they're not. Oh, okay. So you're going to get some weird shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Halloween, Halloween 2018 is number one. Then Scream. Mm-hmm. 1996 Scream, Scream 2, Scream 3, Freddy vs. Jason, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 2003, mm-hmm. I Know What You Did Last Summer in the number 7 slot, Okay. Friday the 13th Remake, A Nightmare on Elm Street Remake, uh-huh. and Rob Zombie's Halloween, number Rob 10. Zombie's, okay. So that you get a little bit of, like, those were big movies, even right. the Nightmare on Elm Street Remake was big. Right, right. But that's a little bit of a victim of modern dollars compared yeah. to, like, eighties, nineties dollars. So Halloween twenty eighteen right now is like the top grossing slasher film. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, Wes Craven's responsible either directly or indirectly for five of those top ten. Wow. Yeah. What a legacy. That's crazy. Yeah. Good for him. Um, well, cool. Uh, yeah. So this one I, I performed a little less than Scream, but it's still a, a great good return on seventeen million. Yeah. Right. That's still crazy. a huge success. It's considered a like blockbuster at that number. I think. Sure. Yep, uh, and the sequel didn't do as well. Higher budget of twenty four million, but it still had a box office of eighty three million in nineteen ninety eight. And you've seen that one? Yes, okay. I saw that in the theater too. Oh, <laughs> there was a period there from Just, like ninety six to I don't know two thousand where I went to the movies a lot. Were your parents like every weekend being like, "Hey Brian, what art movie do you want to see this weekend?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> looks pretty stabby. This one you want to go yeah. see? <laughs> I think it was like from age thirteen until when I could drive. Okay. So maybe like 1996 to 1999, I went to the movies a lot. Nice, nice. Yeah, that was a thing to do. Like, what else yeah, because my parents could drop me off, and right. yeah, we could all feel like we were being independent, like yeah. without parent parental supervision in the public space. Right. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Fun. Uh, that's cool. Good, good days back then. Um, well, cool. Uh, what I, I forgot to look up what what the Rotten Tomatoes. It's like 30, 40 percent or something. It's not super kind. Forty three percent critics, forty three percent users. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Pretty lined. Uh, on critics and users. Yeah, right? It's dead on. Yeah. I'm actually surprised the user score is so low given like uh, how often this film is like cited. It was so big and like some, to some of our younger listeners, like I, somebody posted like this movie looks like garbage <laughs> and it, it was just it weird does. to me. It does look like garbage. <laughs> yeah. But it was weird because it's just like 
and I have no idea that person who commented its relationship with the movie, but this was so big in pop culture when we were coming up. Right. That it's surprising that just hear someone yeah. say that. It's like, it's, I don't even know whether to think of it other than like, this movie is a big deal, you know? Yeah. Um, he- hearing that, uh, does that make you feel old for their life? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> that I saw this in the theater. Yeah. But yeah, the, the younger listeners may just be like, what the hell is this movie? But this was, it was saturated pop culture. Like, right. It was spoofed all, like it was spoofed in Scary Movie right. in 2000, which spoofed multiple horror movies. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like it was one of those things where late night TV hosts were spoofing it. Yeah. Like, award shows would have a spoof of it. Right. It was spoofed many times in pop culture. It was. Like, her spinning around, <laughs> looking at the sky, saying, what, <laughs> what are you, you waiting for? <laughs> yeah. That was, that was everywhere. People exactly. copied that like crazy. Yeah, yeah. That was good. I feel like if it came out today, there'd be a lot of memes about it. Yes. It hit the meme category. 100%. Um, yeah, I know that it has been such a big part of pop culture. Uh, so yeah, cr- crazy that, um, and, and I think a part of that was the star power it had, uh, even more so than Scream, like coming into this, uh, I, I feel like all four of these actors and actresses were, uh, well known when this film came out. You know, to an extent, like Jennifer Love Hewitt was, she had kind of come up as a child in the industry. She was on Disney's kids incorporated a mm-hmm. tv show and then she landed a role on party of five okay that was her like big um uh, like in that was how pop culture knew her i okay. think through party of five she was in house arrest sister act two before this but i think i know what you did last summer really kind of rocketed her into the spotlight mm, okay. it also made her a sex symbol with all the cleavage oh and, like, yeah wet tank top Yep, time yep. Okay, <laughs> in so the movie yeah yeah uh so i think she was popular she sure. was known I think that's the story with all these people. Yeah. They, were, they were known, but this really was their big brick. Sure. Sarah of. Michelle Geller had like Buffy the Vampire Slayer before this, right? Well, actually, yeah. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing because they were happening at the same time. Like she had filmed the first season of Buffy, mm-hmm. went to do this movie, and then as filming was wrapping on this movie, mm-hmm. the series premiere of Buffy happened. Oh, so okay. she said she was in the airport on the way home from filming this movie and people were whispering like, Hey, that's Buffy. Oh. And that's when she knew like, Oh, people like the show. She had nice. no idea if it was going to be a hit or a flop. Yeah. Yeah. So they were kind of happening at the same time. I mean, I guess she had already had some people got to know her first in Buffy. Okay. Shortly before they got to know her in this. Okay. Okay. So still- this was a pretty quick turnaround. Like it was filmed right. in 97 and released in 97. Yeah. Definitely rushed. Okay. So like these, they were all like, uh, kind of just coming onto the scene, like fresh talent yeah. through TV shows at this point. Yeah. They weren't household names. No, yeah. people weren't like, Oh, this has Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Geller in it. It was like, yeah. this has attractive teenagers in it. And Got then it. their names became widely known. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure this film had a huge part in their career then. That's yeah. awesome. And Jennifer Love Hewitt was named by Maxim Magazine. The esteemed Maxim Magazine named her the sexiest woman in the world in 1999. 1999. Okay, cool. Man, I had a huge crush on her uh, growing up. I mean, but... if you were you our age, you you had yeah. a crush on both of these women. Probably. Yeah, I you know I never got too much into Jennifer Love Hewitt. Uh, you did. Uh, wait, you were so you were a Sarah Michelle Gellar fan? Yeah, I thought they were both pretty uh, darn cute. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're the late 90s. That was all of them. Do you would you would you consider Sarah Michelle Gellar like she's she's got I, I think a much longer list anyone else uh on this uh, in this cast of like horror films uh was she a scream queen i don't feel like she ever got like really branded hmm, as that that but title never got put on her yeah so she did this she did the grudge buffy scream sure um yeah scream too yeah right? 
Well, who was she in Scream 2? I don't even remember her. Uh, she was like this one person who was like babysitting like the house. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that was actually a cool sequence. Right. Yeah, she never did get branded a Scream Queen. Maybe it's because she's the more like an aggressor fighter type in Buffy. Oh, yeah, sure. But it is strange. Yeah, you would think that title should go to her. I know, yeah. Why not? I know. Yeah, yeah. Good but, point. Uh, she does have uh, like a, a number of work, which... Uh, but yeah, it seems, seems like she hasn't been too active in the last few years, done some voiceover work. And then this guy, Kevin Williamson, so he, uh, we talked about him, he wrote Scream as well. Um, it sounds like after this film, his his stock kind of dropped for like 10 years. And then he came back with like Vampire Diaries. Oh, yeah. I think he was like still kind of creating and producing ty- and roles like that. But I forgot yeah. to like get a refresher on his history for this one yeah was he doing anything like that behind the scenes type stuff or not uh, really it sounded like like he did two or three movies between this and like 2010 but like they both had like issues and like production or like delays and stuff and so gotcha. there's like venom and i think the other one's like cursed or something okay and uh, neither of those like did really well so I f- and maybe oh i guess he had like dawson's creek which is huge right After sure this. right yeah 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 i think they're they're some of these people's cultural stamp goes back and forth between TV and film. Sure, right, yeah, um, yeah. And like Jennifer Love Hewitt, she kind of fell off after uh, a few yeah. years, but then she kind of got back into pop culture with Ghost Whisperer. Did you ever watch that? <laughs> I feel like I watched like 10 minutes of it, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> this is bad. This is actually But really it's one bad, of those yeah. shows, and not to insult anybody, but it's one of those shows that like hits a certain segment that is huge. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to insult that segment. Sure. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's maybe a segment that's like not looking for the most like critical, yeah. uh, like Eyebrow. astute elements in their movies. It's yeah. just like, or their TV. They're just like, I like this show. I'm Cheap watching fun. this show. Yeah. 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 And, and you got Jennifer Love Hewitt, where if, if you're a big fan of her. Um, she was with John Mayer for a while, right? Was she? Okay. I thought so. I thought they were dating or married. I don't know if they still are or not. Okay. Well, speaking yeah. of romance, Jennifer, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. met on this movie. Yeah. And they've been married for 20 years. That's incredible. That's, That's wild. Not a story you hear too often. Yeah, for sure. Good for um, them. Yeah. Good, good for them. Good for him, too. That's awesome. Uh, what uh, What else? Anything else? I don't know. I, I guess, yeah, I kind of like pulled your point backwards of like these weren't big names. But after this movie, the, all four of these loomed large in like yep. late 90s early 2000s pop culture right so you're you're dead on with that kind of stuff yeah yeah they became really big yeah um oh the director we i mean that's the opposite story like you never really you saw did, yeah, yeah i mean he's got titles under his name i don't think they're very widely known titles right. and there's not a whole lot of them yeah very scattered and yeah yeah kind of that's it i'm surprised because yeah you have like a powerhouse like Wes craven behind uh, scream then you kind of got like this guy who's yeah like kind of a nobody yeah it is interesting. Yep. And then who didn't really go on to do much. Right, right. Um, did you see, the speaking of Scream, the marketing campaign for this movie said it was from the creator of Scream, but Miramax sued Columbia because it's like, that would imply like Wes Craven. Huh. But you have Kevin it Williamson. Is kind of, it, you have the same it's writer. It's kind of a dicey language because like... Yeah, creator is... And it almost goes to the theory, like a tour type theory. Like, is a director the creator of something or is are there multiple creators? Right. But then like... Is like camera operator B a creator? <laughs> like, <laughs> and not to insult that job, but there there is a line. But I would think if you're part of the creative force of a film, whether it be, yeah, I don't know, maybe even a producer, because mm. producers can vary in their creative roles. Yeah. Could you be called a creator? I think so. I think the creator word is like pretty vague enough and like general enough where, yeah, if you're around like the inception of the idea or like involved in the development of it, uh, 
yeah, that, that, that seems fair to me. I'm yeah. surprised. Did they win that lawsuit? It's interesting, because when I first read that, I was like, oh, no, they didn't. But then sitting here talking about it, I'm like, well, why not? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they 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 lost that lawsuit. Oh, okay. Um, so Miramax won, and they had to they had to take that language out of the ads. Oh, wow. And then I think afterwards, he, I don't know if it was a separate lawsuit or not, but like Weinstein went after damages. Oh. And I think he got them. Okay. And it was actually Kevin Williamson who blew the whistle on the whole thing. He saw the ad and was like, uh, no I don't way. know if I feel good about that. Wow. That's crazy. He sold out his own film. <laughs> yeah. Like the, like the yeah. Of it. yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that is interesting. It kind of makes me feel like that was an honorable thing mm-hmm. for him and like really respectful to Wes Craven. Mm. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, yeah, well, why not? Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if I agree with that, Kevin, on that one. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, he did. He created the concept. He created yep. the story. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Interesting. Really, really is. Uh, and uh, this guy wasn't involved in that. Um, Wes Craven, like, he wasn't, like, one of the people suing or anything, right? No, no, it was just production, thing. studio yeah. versus studio, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, Williamson's only role was that I think he was the one who alerted people. I mean, they probably would have found out anyway. Yeah. But, yeah. I wonder, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, other franchises today. Like, I know, like, from the people who brought you this film, like, anytime you say mm-hmm. that, does it have to be, like, the same studio or can like one studio reference like another a film that's referenced by or made by another like studio? Like if it's a co-production, yeah, I think probably. Okay, like you hear a lot. I feel like for the past five years, there's been from the people that brought you Get Out. Yeah, from Blumhouse. And so usually there's like some studio overlap there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Or but then Monkey Paw did that too. So I think Monkey Paw can do the same thing in their advertising. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if Jordan Peele's a producer on something, right? You know, Candyman had that had that draw. Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Good that point. big pull for the name. Yep. Um, any other the franchise we haven't hit the entire franchise was that more than two films (laughs) yeah so there's the 1998 film that was in theaters and was still a big movie I still don't know what you did last time I still don't I still know what you did (laughs) that that one that's gonna be a new one about confused characters (laughs) in their old age I still don't I can't remember Uh, in 2006 there's a direct-to-video sequel I'll always know what you did last summer. Wow. And then in 2021, there was a TV series on Amazon called I Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm-hmm. And I've heard it was terrible. Okay. But that's all I know about it. I don't think it got renewed, but I'm not sure. Sure. And um, that the third film, did it have any of the main cast from the first film? Even the second the, film. The second film did. The, okay. I think the third film was like a fresh okay. fresh cast. But second. The, the second film had Freddie Prince and... Oh, shit. I guess it's... Yeah, maybe it's kind of in pop culture. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it had Freddie Prince and Jennifer Love Hewitt in it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and you've seen the first two. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen the rest. But okay. there's, there was some discussion. Um, actually, Alexis on our Discord server reviewed the 2021 TV series, I think. Yeah. On her YouTube channel, which I think is called Alexis's Apparitions. Mm-hmm. So go check that out, okay. listeners. Did she like it? No, she hated it. Oh, okay. right. <laughs> so if you like enjoy like hearing something like torn <laughs> apart, like, she was she was, you know, she wasn't a jerk, but right. she explained everything that was wrong with the show. Okay, yeah, yeah, I could see that being a terrible TV show. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone really saw that and thought, ooh, <laughs> this sounds great. <laughs> I mean, it's part great. of it is because that was spoofed to death in pop culture for some reason. Right, it's like, right. we got to kind of be done with this. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's unfortunate how, how much, uh, but watching it like, uh, yeah, did, did it remind you of like all the spoofs that you've seen of it? Yes, it right. did. Cause um, so many of those shots were re- replicated and like, you know, shot for shot type stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I it's know. It's funny. I know. But it also like, I didn't, 
I kind of laughed at it in the film. Yeah. But it's not quite as egregious as all the spoofs. Like, there's spoofs of her spinning around, like, over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah. And like, <laughs> just go, yeah. Uh, and then, like, how she, like, runs away uh, after, like, uh, dropping, like, news to someone or, like, giving talking to someone mm. with, her, like, her arms flailing. Yeah. I think uh, I saw that in the Sure. She's times. got a, a specific run. Yep. Yep. Her posture in general in this movie... <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that in the review too, sure. just like some of the acting. Sure, all right. Uh, how it works and and not. Sounds good. Um, yeah. Any other background worth mentioning? Not really. This, I mean, for uh, the younger listeners too, this like this movie just rips '90s. Like yeah. the soundtrack, the Offspring, L7, Corn, Toad, the Wet Spot, Sprocket, Our Lady Peace. Like they're on the soundtrack. They're on the soundtrack. I didn't recognize any of them. Yeah. Okay. So, so some of it's just barely in the movie. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it's just a super 90s film. Yeah, that's cool. Um, would you, what's, oh, uh, what's the movie with the witches? The uh, movie, Hocus Pocus? No, The the Craft. Oh, right, yeah. The Craft. So that was before or after this? I, I forgot what year. That, that was in 1996. So was, I think okay. that kind of goes to the credit of like the boom of horror in the box office sure. too. Okay. okay. That's another one I, my mom and dad dropped me off for in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> that I was really hoping there'd be nudity in, but there wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Man, your parents in the uh, 90s, I love that. <laughs> right? Like, I know. Brian, go see these movies. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, well, you got an Ohio Connection for us? Yeah. As always, our Ohio Connection comes from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in the area, swing by for some great food and drinks. He connects every movie to our home state of Ohio, if I didn't already say that. But Alex says... I Know What You Did Last Summer is a teen slasher film starring Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan Phillippe, Freddie Prince Jr., and Anne Heche. It is loosely based on the 1973 novel of the same name by Lois Duncan and centers on four young friends who were stopped by a hook-wielding killer one year after covering up a car accident in which they killed a man. Anne Heche's best-known film roles include Donnie Brasco, Six Days, Seven Nights, Wag the Dog, as well as a lead role in Gus Van Sant's 1998 Psycho remake. For many, she is remembered for having a relationship with comedian Ellen DeGeneres from 1997 to 2000, which received significant media coverage. Anne Heche was born in Aurora, Ohio. Whoa, that's awesome. Yeah, cool. cool. You know, that's another reason this movie is just so, like, exemplative of pop culture in the 90s is because Anne Heche yeah. was a big part of pop culture. But yeah, again, she's an actress, but... Sadly, it was mostly just because of her relationship with, with Ellen. Ellen. Yeah. And, and, you know, that was a big deal at the time for Ellen to come out. Oh, right. So yeah. The, their relationship, consequently, was a big deal. Yeah. So, like, uh, Anne Heche was out then at this time? Yes. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, that was, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I don't know if she was out at the time of the movie. Oh. Um, but, yeah, it, she was out in the late 90s, her and Ellen as a couple. Okay, cool. I think uh, now Ellen is dating Portia, right? Yeah, I mean, they might be married, and I think they've been together quite a while now. Right, right. Okay, cool. Nice. Good connection there. I always thought it was Anne Hesh for some reason, but it's Hesh? It could be Hesh. Okay. I've never known how to pronounce it. Okay. All right. Uh, Good deal. Well, I mean, we just talked about how it's Ryan Filippi instead of, uh, so you call that one out. It's Ryan Filippi. Oh, Filippi. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I've heard it pronounced Philippe and Felipe. I thought it was Felipe. And Filippi. Yeah, I think it's Filippi. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Okay, cool. But I've heard it even on, like, national television shows pronounced multiple different ways. Oh, yeah, sure. All right. Well, you ready to jump into the plots, the spoilers, and do our review? Let's do it. All right, man. Cool. Well, oh, shoot. Hey, man, do you mind if we take a quick break? I think I see someone getting murdered outside, and I I, I need to start uh, screaming about it. Oh, shit, you're right. All right, yeah, let's do it. All right, I'll be right back. 
All right, hey listeners, we're back. Brian, uh, thanks so much for restraining me when I tried to run towards that person being murdered. I realized I was being a little hysterical by pointing to them and yelling. <laughs> to <save this> life. <laughs> Wait, is this? Oh, oh yes, that scene that really frustrated me. <laughs> right? I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? Oh my gosh, yeah, we'll get to that scene. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it made no sense. <laughs> like, why, why, that reaction there. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we'll jump into the plot here. So, movie kicks off with the scene of a guy hanging out on a cliff looking kind of depressed. We then meet our main characters. We've got Helen, who is, whose boyfriend uh, is Barry, and Helen is Sarah Michelle Gellar. Barry is Ryan Fleepy. What do you say? Just, just roll with it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Julie, who's played by um, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and Ray, played by Freddie Prince Jr. So, Helen just won a beauty page- pageant. And so afterwards, they're partying on a beach, and while doing so, they talk about their urban legend of the guy with the hook and all the different versions that exist of it and interpretations. Uh, what'd you think of the setup and this introduction to the characters? You know, it, it just felt like very stereotypical and like very 90s, but at the same time, it worked. It worked? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you've got her friends cheering her on. We established that this is kind of a small town. It's like Miss Croker or whatever. Right. I think Croker is the name of the town. Uh and you've got them like talking about their future and their dreams. I always question the practicality of beach sex. Uh, <laughs> Too much sand? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. sand's going to get some places. Yeah, yeah, that's not going to be. Uh, I think it, it kind of works, it but works. it's not great. It's it's just there, I guess. But yeah. I didn't have any giant complaints. How about you? Uh, no, I agree. Uh, effective thing, and like these aren't, like, you're not looking for like great, like, character depth here. So, like, yeah, yeah decent setup. I think uh, it dragged a little bit for me because. Uh, like, yeah, beginning of Scream, you have, like, a great hook in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And here, like, uh, I don't know, it feels like a while before you even get to the kills. Sure. And so this felt like kind of a slow start and just wondering, like, it felt a little bit, like, lifetime-y here at the beginning. Oh, uh, okay, I see. Yeah, there isn't, I mean, there's a literal hook in this movie, but there's yeah. not a, uh, opening a real opening hook in the structure of the film. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, but I, I think that's okay. I think the story... Um, it's a different... Structure. Yeah, I just think the story doesn't really can't really be told with a hook. Although actually, it kind of maybe could, right. but it would give away some things the movie's trying to hide. Mm. There are certain cards the movie's like playing close to his chest. Okay, okay. And actually, it it opens with the shot of a dude on a cliffside, right? Right. Looking kind of forlorn. Yep. So that's not a hook, but it, <laughs> it lets you know something ominous is afoot. It's a teaser. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So on their drive home that night, Barry's pretty drunk. He accidentally distracts Ray, who's driving, and they end up hitting a person. They check the person's pulse and think he's dead. And there's this really tense argument between the characters around what to do. I think uh, Ray and Barry uh, are on the side that like if they go to the cops with this, this will ruin all their futures, because they're all graduating and talking about their future plans. Um, but eventually they all decide, well, they all decide to get rid of the body, but it sounds like Julie is like the one who is like never really on board with that plan. Right? Yeah. From, from like the moment it happens, she's like, we need to call the police. We need to take care of this. We need to like yeah. do what's right. Right. And yeah, Ryan Philippi is like, he's the real driver. Oh yeah. Uh, what's his name? Barry Cox. <laughs> Barry Cox. <laughs> so Barry Cox is the real like. We cannot like yeah. this goes with us to our graves. Freddie Prinze Jr. is like seems like he'd be the voice of reason here. They've established him as like a nice guy, but right. he's like, I don't have the money that you guys have. He's they hinted the fact that he's like not as lower economic class. He's, yeah, 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 lower economic class than the rest of this group, and he's like, 
this would ruin everything for me if this ever got out and yeah. he's already dead. So what's the, yep. And Helen just kind of goes with whatever. Helen seems a little like on the fence, kind of like going with whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. She doesn't seem to have a strong opinion, right? Uh, no. Yeah. I think she's convinced, like Barry convinces her easily and she kind of just goes with it. Yeah. I mean, Barry's really trying to steamroll everyone. He's like shouting in people's faces. Right. He chokes out Julie James at I one know. point. He's like pretty aggressive. He's pretty aggressive and like, it's interesting because Freddie Prince Jr.'s character is like portrayed as a good guy, but he's kind of like standing by and letting this happen. Yeah. Yep. It's interesting. It is. Yeah. Interesting. But dynamic. like, you know, not, not to put the blame on him. Maybe he's kind of like getting bullied. But Right. Who, Freddie Prince Jr.? Yeah. But yeah. it's just like Ryan Felipe. I think they, I actually, this refreshes my memory. I think in casting, they wanted someone who's a bit more like a six foot like athletic, huge. like intimidating. And yeah. that would have worked a lot better. I guess. But yeah. in this, with these two actors, it's just like, punch that dude in the face. <laughs> I know. He's like, like <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can kind of see it though. Cause yeah, uh, Barry has, he's like a, a rich spoiled kid. He's like he's a football beamer. star. He's a football. Yeah. He's a football star. Uh, he's also drunk, I think, at this point, too, yeah, right? Yeah, crazy drunk. Yeah. So and he, he, he's established as a shitty drunk in the first place, which is why they crashed the car. Right, right. So uh, I think it's believable, like, how he's being an asshole. Uh, and Freddie, uh, his character is, like, a little bit more reserved because, yeah, he's coming from lower economic class, maybe, and not the football star. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, but, yeah, uh, that happens. Oh, they throw the body into the water. But when they do, I think it briefly pops back to life. Yeah, even before, they're about to put it in the water, and then it's clear that he's alive. Yeah. And it freaks them out, and then Ryan Felipe, sorry, Barry, Barry Cox, yeah. pushes him into the water. Right. But then it's like, oh, no, he's alive. Like, now we're killing somebody. Right. And then he jumps down there to, like... Get the crown, I think. Oh, uh, right. He grabs uh, Sarah Helen Shivers' crown yeah, from right. her, like pageant exactly and then he dives in to get it back <laughs> not just for like the sake of helen but the because evidence. it's evidence yeah. yeah right so uh but i feel like at the end of this ordeal they're convinced that that guy died down there yeah okay so he popped back to life but then likely drowned after well and as a viewer too like he's in the water motionless with his eyes open okay yeah right so you assume he's dead okay makes sense so uh we then jump to a year later uh, and now these four, they have graduated from high school and they're no longer close friends. Um, I can't tell how much of them not being close friends was because of like the trauma of going through this together versus just like natural, we graduated and went different directions. Did you get a sense of that? They did not hit that hard enough. Mm -hmm. Like the plot has to kind of work like that, that they go off to college and come back. I don't know if it even does have to, have to work like that, but you're right that Putting it on that natural pivot point in life yeah. that comes naturally where you grow apart from friends from high school right. undercuts the thematic element of, like, this incident has ruined these friendships. Exactly. Because it is, yeah, and it would happen naturally anyway. And they also just don't hit that very hard with the characters at all. Right. Uh, like the fallout from this? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they do kind of briefly. There's one actually really touching moment between uh, Helen Shivers and Julie James where mm -hmm. Helen's like, we don't talk anymore. Like exactly. what happened? And Julie just kind of ignores her. <laughs> and it's kind of like, I, yeah, I think it could have been a stronger movie if they made that friendship, the backbone of the movie. Sure. Yeah. They Let's... kind of made the relationship between Julie and what's Helen? Freddie Prince's character. Oh, uh, Ray. Ray. Yeah. Julie and Ray's relationship was kind of the backbone of the movie, but yeah. even that was a little underdeveloped. Right. And, uh, I think, I don't know if I got a sense of like the strength of their relationships before the events to kind of, 
see, like, yeah, you're right. Like, there was, like, really strong friendships. And I guess, yeah, you're right. Ray and uh, Julie's where you get, like, that thing where they talk about going to college together and stuff. Right, yeah. Uh, or something. Yep. Yeah, but it would have been cool to see that more with Helen. But, yeah, otherwise, I feel like I know people, like, uh, that I graduated with. And, like, a year later, like, we grew apart, but we didn't kill anyone the summer before. <laughs> exactly, so, right, yeah. To that. But I think you get a sense and that... I know people where we've killed together, <laughs> and we're still very we're close. Still really good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can go either way. Um, so, but we, I, I think we get the impression that Julie is a lot more impacted by those events. Like, yeah. she's in college, but her grades aren't doing really well. She's kind of emo depressed. Yeah, she's about to be kicked out. Oh, yeah. They, the makeup they put on her is made to look like... You look like shit now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So she's home for the summer uh, following her first year at college and she finds a note and it says, I know what you did last summer. So she tracks down Julie and Barry and they, uh, yeah, so, oh no, sorry. She tracks down Helen and Barry um, and it's revealed that Helen, who had these big aspirations to go to New York, is actually uh, working at the family department store called Shivers. I love her last name, Shivers. That's a really cool name, Helen Shivers. Do you notice that the department store, her last name is Shivers with an S. Mm -hmm. The department store is called Shivers and it's R apostrophe S. Oh, interesting. Like I don't know if that's a mistake or if that's yeah. just how the family wanted to uh, roll with that name. That's, that's kind of a cool approach, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> a creative take on their name. I think it's a typo someone made on the sign. <laughs> someone didn't, yeah. wasn't being consistent. Uh, yeah, so she's now working there, and Barry's, I can't tell what Barry's doing, he's just like this rich dude living at home. Uh, yeah, yeah, it seems like maybe he went to school, but yeah, he's just, okay. when they find him, he's lounging at home, having his mom presumably bring him whatever he wants. <laughs> living the dream. <laughs> uh, so they assume that, uh, the killer is this, or the, whoever left this note, because no one's been killed yet, actually. Yeah. Uh, the guy, the person who left this note is this guy named Max, who had passed them on the road that night of the accident. So they find Max and Barry, like, pretty uh, brutally, like, kind of assaults him, like, kind of throws him up and, like, uh, kind of slashes him with a hook or something a little bit. Or is there, like... A... I think he does cut him a little bit. Like, yeah. he's, he's threatening him, like, very intensely. Right. Yep. And then he thinks that, that Barry's like, all right, I gave him a warning, so don't worry about it now. But then later we see Max get attacked by a hooked assailant in a fisherman slicker slacker slicker, slicker. <laughs> he's, a, he's a slacker in a slicker yeah uh yeah right and this was a kill that i don't think was in the original script oh. i think they went back oh. and added it because they were like we need something to establish a sense of danger earlier on in the plot right because like we're like a half why hour why are we gonna kill max yeah you know? know who really cares i mean i guess you can make the justification that he was there so he could like somehow know of what happened. Yeah, good point. But it, it's it's pretty loose. Yeah. this And one actually, I don't think he'd have any way of knowing Max was there that night. No, 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 I don't. Yeah. Well, yeah, good point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know how these small towns work. Uh, but <laughs> um, definitely like when Max came, the body that they were throwing over was like there, right? Because... They were like kind of hiding the body. Yeah. On those yeah. Heads. The body was being thrown over and the body was completely unconscious. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's weird that he gets killed. But what did you think of this guy? I felt like it, it wasn't like a very like memorable kill, but was it? I don't think so either. And I think maybe they show a little bit of blood coming from his mouth or something. Okay. Um, so it's not like absent of any on-screen violence, but it's not like a brutal or creative kill either. Yeah. I feel like this was more to show that there's a killer. Yeah. And he's using a hook. Yeah. I kind of just felt like, let's get this done. Right. Exactly. Let's and kill it, this motherfucker. Yeah. And we needed a kill because it was like, it would have been like in this for a half hour. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. true. I, I mean, the, the car scene, 
So <laughs> I watched this on my own this week, and Ashwin, you watched it like two, what, nights, two nights ago after I went to bed. Yeah. So as I was brushing my teeth, <laughs> I was hearing the sound from the scene where they hit the guy. Yeah. And I mean, that's played pretty tragically, and I mean, you could argue about how well they depict that. Sure. But it's... Suspenseful? This is like intense scene. Sure. Maybe a little suspenseful too, especially when he comes back. When he comes back, definitely. Um, so it's not like nothing had happened. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You had to kill. You had like a little bit of a flash. Yeah. There. Yep. Okay. Um, so after this, they run into Ray. Uh, he also now works at the fishing dock. So things uh, after this kind of begin to escalate. Uh, Barry gets attacked one day after uh, being at the gym. Uh, someone tries to run him down with a car but spares his life and he gets hospitalized. Julia and Helen, well, actually, was the car thing suspenseful for you or? Um, you know, it wasn't bad, actually. And there's a, like, they established that someone might be in the locker room with him and stuff. Yeah. There was some suspense in this scene. Sure. He finds a note. There's like some noises, things happening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I, there was no part of me that was like, this is being done poorly. Right. I okay. wasn't wild, but it was sure. That was effective. Okay, cool. What did you think? Uh, yeah, kind of. I, I was kind of. Uh, yeah, I guess I the suspense build was kind of cool, and you yeah. didn't have a kill here to judge. So, good, decent, like build. Sure. Um, after this, uh, Julia and Helen are trying to track down who is doing this. They think it's something, someone who knows about the kill, obviously. So they go to talk to the person who died last year. His name was David Egan. So they find his sister, who lives by herself, played by Anne Heche. Is that what we're calling her? Yeah. Okay. Hetchy. Hetchy. Yeah. So uh, her name is Missy. She lives on her own. She reveals that after David died last year, someone named Billy Blue had stopped by to visit. And Julia and Helen start to think that Billy Blue might be the killer or have some connection to whoever is going around uh, threatening them and stalking them. Uh, I was kind of impressed here by Anne as Missy. Kind of like creepy, but what what did you think? Yeah, she's supposed to be a bit like ominous and maybe a bit of a red herring or you know you don't know if she's a red herring or truly the killer but right there's something mysterious about her she's got a relationship to the murdered party so yeah it could very well be her who's the killer yeah and yeah i think she's gave a good performance she did and there's also like this weird like eagerness where like she's like this kind of weird lady living in the woods by herself and like right. socially awkward uh, mm-hmm. where it's like borderline creepy or like desperate vulnerable yeah and yeah. she like hunts or whatever so there's dead animals all yeah. around the house and yeah right not around the house outside the house right yeah right yeah I was, I was impressed that was a good character there um that night the killer breaks into helen's house and gives her a haircut while she's sleeping <laughs> <laughs> as killers like to do uh the next morning julia finds max's dead body in the back of her car and uh, helen i guess also wakes up and it says on her mirror uh soon or I'm coming for you, or... Something something that's not good to see on a mirror. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and she screams. Um, so Julia visits David's sister again and finds out that David's sister is convinced that David had died from a suicide, not after being hit by a car, which is what Julia... Uh, sorry, Julie. I keep calling her Julia. It's Julie, right? Yeah, Julie. Julie Those, James. Do people named... Uh, like, is Julie and Julia the same name? or Different name. Different name? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's never like I'm Julia, but I go. I don't Julie think it's short. like long short for something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Julie uh, tells, reveals to David's sister that actually we might have killed your brother last year, and Julie, Missy, uh, the sister, is like, no, because we have the suicide note. Julie sees the suicide note 
and realizes it's the same handwriting that the killer or their stalker has been using and that it's actually a death threat, not a suicide note. Yeah, so this guy that they think was the person they killed was actually being threatened probably by the guy who's killing them. Yeah, and so is this... Yeah, I think somehow she pieces together that, like, they might not have killed David at this point, but they might have killed the killer of David, right? Yes, correct. Which I thought was a leap. Like, I don't know how she got, like, jumped to that, that, oh, maybe the person we killed wasn't actually the person we think, but, like, that, that seems like a big jump. Yeah, I mean, I think she puts it together that, okay, this dude left a suicide note, or did they think lose. did, yeah. but he was had a death threat. Uh-huh. And then went missing, and then they hit somebody with a car, and they're now getting... Yeah, I guess maybe it is a bit of a jump. It's like, yeah, two it's jumps It's almost like, logic. why wouldn't the p- person who... Hmm. Like, if I kill, if I actually killed a guy, and then I knew there was a death threat on him, uh, I wouldn't assume that the person I hit was the person doing the death yeah, threat. Yeah, right. It could still be two separate things. Like, yeah. that guy killed Billy, and he, now he's killing you, and also you hit someone with your car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The third person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the third person. <laughs> there are a lot of scenarios here. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. She, that is what she puts together, that they hit the killer. Yeah. They hit Billy's killer. Right. Yeah. Maybe she was pretty smart. I guess she was pretty sharp, Julie yeah. James. Yeah, she really was. They established that she's very good at school before right. Right. the incident. True, true. They, they, yeah, so that this part kind of feels uh, justified then. <laughs> I want to talk about when she goes back to Missy's house, mm-hmm. to Anne's house, Anne Heche. Mm-hmm. There is a scene where it's almost like a jump scare where Missy pops out with a knife in her right. hand. And the editing and framing on this scene was really bad. Oh, It really? was like horribly ineffective. It, it should have been a scary moment. And maybe it was. Uh, where she's sitting there with the knife? Yeah, where she kind of like comes onto the screen. Mm-hmm. But I rewatched it again and it was just like ugly. Like <laughs> this movie is not very well directed. I, I Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it may not be a coincidence that Jim Gillespie didn't <laughs> go on to do many more things or, right. or bigger things. Yeah. Uh, I don't think if this movie is effective at all, it's not due to the direction. Sure. Sure. It's competent in many points, but there are certain points where it's just mistakes are made yeah i'm surprised because that's like actually one of the scenes that i remember and and i thought like Anne's performance here with the knife like uh i thought it was like visually kind of striking but uh you think like the way it was framed or like the way it was sliced in sucked? yeah yeah okay. i mean i think if we like went back and watched that i could like show you like this okay. is this is why you're wrong <laughs> but <laughs> actually you could argue that her performance mm-hmm. and, yeah okay yeah, no, I, I agree, though. But yeah, direction-wise, until we get to a sequence that, that's coming up here, which I think is a standout. Sure. Um, so that evening, there is a this pageant going on again, and Helen has to show up to it. And while she's there, Barry's watching her from the, uh, what do you call those? The balcony. The balcony, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, while he's up there, she sees the hooked dude pop up and kill Barry. And she screams hysterically and tries to run towards him. But the crowd intervenes <laughs> and like just grabs her, and like they're not like letting her like run through the crowd. What what was that? Why were they doing that? I mean, I have the same note yeah. that you probably have. I was just like, why in the world <laughs> do they stop her? Yeah. And it's just like uh, there's also like tones of misogyny in this movie that if they appeared in a movie today would be like yeah. really called out as like lampooning that kind of behavior. But it's just kind of baked into this movie, yeah. if you ask me. 
uh, just the pageant itself. And then like, Oh, these girls sure look. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, all the men in the audience, like restrain her from running to the balcony. She's pointing up there saying like, there's a killer. Like he just got hurt. Somebody help him. Yeah. Nobody goes up there to help him. Nobody even lets her go up there. They're more worried about it. It's like a hysterical woman. Exactly. Yeah. 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 We should, I, I would love to dig more into that. Like I'm pretty sure hysteria was like a medical condition that was exclusive to women. Wow. Like they didn't consider it as a diagnosis for men. In the 90s? Not in the 90s, but like back in the day. Sure. 60s, 70s maybe. Yeah, dating uh, back. Definitely 50s, 60s. Got it. So I think that's just like, maybe when we cover some older films, we'll start to see more. that There's just so much, especially in movies from 50s through 70s, of like men grabbing women by the shoulders and shaking them mm-hmm. and that just being like a normal oh, part of yeah. day, day life. Slapping maybe them smacking the face, them yeah. if they're starting to get... Right. Quote unquote hysterical. Right. So that, that, this had echoes of that. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Very sexist, uh, misogynistic for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. So, so, uh, and also with Barry's murder, uh, the other unfortunate thing is like, it kind of happens off screen. Like you see his face while he's getting stabbed, but you don't really see much gore here. I don't think the killer is like over him and they do like a dissolve transition into the next scene, mm-hmm. which is just totally the wrong way to do that. I just, right. I don't understand why they did that. Not only are they not showing the kill, but they're like yeah. softly transitioning away from it. Whereas usually that's maybe like uh, a smash cut where it's like, you know, he, he brings up a knife, the music gets really loud and then yep. cut to a Cuts quiet up. moment a day later where everyone's mourning his death. Sure. But they, they don't do it. It's like a gradual transition <laughs> away. Just I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Yeah. It's a weird choice. It's a bad choice. I thought maybe why they did that. Well, surprisingly, he's like wearing a white sweater. So I, I'm surprised like we don't see a bigger mess, right? Mm. But I also thought maybe they're trying to set it up like by not showing us like the actual wounds or like the blood coming out. Are they setting it up that he might be the killer and trying to like uh, make it look like a fake death in a way? But uh, I, I, you don't think that was the intent there? That's a good point. That's possible. Yeah. But I think even if so, if that was the intent, it was still a bad directorial. It was, yeah. Editing choice i think about like uh this is after scream we know like the well i don't want to spoil scream but you know a boyfriend it's a mur- yeah. screams a, yeah a murder mystery yeah yeah and where the boyfriend plays like a interesting mm-hmm. role yeah. so i thought maybe they're trying to build up that like we know you, people have seen scream that you're suspicious of the boyfriend so we want to keep that suspicion going right by doing a fake death there or something and that's an interesting thing that like lumps scream and i know what you did last summer together like not only are they um Kevin Williamson pens scripts, but they also, not every 80s slasher, I think most 80s slashers weren't necessarily a mystery. And if they were, it was just kind of consequential. It wasn't like one of the characters may have been the killer. Yeah. Sometimes it was like an April Fool's Day, but it was often just like, there's an unknown psychopath on the loose, or we know someone's in the woods. We may not know who he is in his backstory, Yep, but he's certainly not expected to be one of the main characters exactly so i yeah. think that's something that's, that's a 90s kind of thing new. yeah got it yeah uh oh, that's a good point of something like I mean, maybe not just a 90s thing but like a trope that got maybe not introduced in the 90s but became part of yeah. the lexicon of slashers right. in the 90s and it's, would stay with the genre i think it, up until now it's someone you've seen try to figure out who it is or yeah. something or some yep. connection yeah mm-hmm. that makes sense uh, another difference uh, of 90s slashers versus 80s slashers that I think is brought out, being brought out in this film is the idea of a killer like kind of toying uh, with the, its targets before 
Like, why? <laughs> the haircut? Yeah, the haircut, like, showing up. <laughs> it's funny. I, like, didn't even think much about the haircut. Yeah. But then when you, the way you phrased that, he, like, breaks in and gave her a haircut. I was just yeah. like, oh, my God, that's such a yeah. ridiculous plot. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Which, I mean, you never see that. Like, the Freddies, the Jasons, the Michael, uh, they just, like, go for the kill. And I love that. Like, they're not, like, they're, like, kind of toying with them or yeah. trying to, like, build up these guys. I, I know, Scream in this film, I feel like the killer is doing that a lot. Freddy does a lot more toying in the later sequel. Oh, okay. But it's like toying with intent to kill. Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's like that's kind of how he kills them. Yeah. It's like in a weird, creative way. Sure, yeah. It's not like he sneaks in and gives them a haircut. <laughs> and now you, for your last day of living, you have to have this haircut. <laughs> a, yeah. your, your torture is <laughs> this haircut. You're going to wish you are dead. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Hit me with a car? Haircut. <laughs> haircut, yeah. Exactly. Sorry, I just kind of spoiled the plot. But yeah, yeah. That's what people are here for. That's Yeah, that's what they're going about. Yeah. Uh, so... Let's see, where were we? Okay, yeah, then I think we get, like, I think one of the most famous sequences of this film and that I thought still holds up is the murder of Helen, which is kind of a prolonged thing where first she's in a police car uh, being taken from the pageant, or the pageants, and uh, the cop gets killed by this guy with the hook, and then she has to, like, break out of the police car, runs into, like, a, in a building, gets chased into there, and then um, runs into her family store, the killer shows up there, kills her, murders her sister, and then uh, Helen almost makes it out to, into the crowd, but gets killed like right before she does. So it's like very tragic. But what do you think? Like, did you like this kill? I did like this. I liked the whole sequence, and it does feel more like a Kevin Williamson like cat and mouse. It almost reminds me of the scene in Scream Two in the car. Oh yeah, the police uh, car, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sim- I guess a similar scene, similar setup, and everything. Mm-hmm. I thought it was good. I thought it was suspenseful. It was done pretty well. I mean, there were, I remember there were instances in that. Because after that scene with Anne Heche, I was on the lookout for like bad editing and bad framing and stuff. And there was a, it wasn't perfectly executed, but it was done fairly well. Mm -hmm. Her sister's murder is what the producers made him go back and reshoot to add blood. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, He, because the like killer swipes her with a hook. And we, the camera is on the outside door that looking door. in through the glass, and then blood splatters on the glass. Yeah. There was no blood blood on the glass. Like, he, I don't know exactly how the kill happened, like, the blocking of it before, but the producer's feedback was, it's biologically impossible that there wouldn't be blood in this oh, scene. Sure. Yeah, you can't kill something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, then they added that, and they, what I also presume was that a reshoot later was there's a scene with the killer dragging her sister's body by... With his hook embedded in her chest. Oh, wow. He, like, walks across the, yep, the, the shot with, yeah. like, dragging her body by okay. using the hook. Yeah. So that was kind of grisly. Yeah. I think that was probably the grisliest kill, uh, any of the grisliest elements contained in the movie. Right. But then, Helen's kill is off screen. Yeah. She, she's in an right. alley near a parade. And I think you see the killer raise the hook, but then we don't see anything else. Exactly, yeah, yeah. We don't even hear, like, screaming and, like, the, like, death size of Helen or anything. Yeah, right. Again, really weird choice. This is an R-rated slasher. Mm-hmm. The MPAA wasn't in their face. This was all done. <laughs> These were choices made up front. So it's just, it's puzzling. Yeah, it is really puzzling. I wonder really, why, why he was pulling back so much. That's so mysterious. Yeah, well, and it's almost like... A dishonor to... I talk about that concept a lot. I don't know why. Like, honoring a character or dishonoring a character. Mm-hmm. But I almost feel like it, it may sound opposite. But you, it's kind of a dishonor to Helen Shivers as a character to just have her, like, disappear from yeah, the movie. I know. Instead of, like, experiencing 
any tragedy behind her loss. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, I don't know. Uh, I do feel like yeah, you had a great cat and mouse. I agree with you. Like the kill should have like kind of uh, paid tributes. Like yeah, yeah, had a great build up. Like would have liked a good kill. But I feel like the tragedy was felt given like how the, the music swoops in, how like she's so close to like safety. Like there's a crowd right there. And uh, what's an, I, I feel like we've seen this before where like someone's getting killed. Trick or treat. Oh, in a crowd? They get killed. Like, Well, we've seen people get killed in the crowd in maybe multiple movies, but I'm pretty sure trick or treat has someone getting murdered right next to a parade. Oh, yeah. Like okay, in a okay. side alley or side street. Okay, got it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought there was, like, a tragedy with this. Uh, and it might put it just in the music and the fact that, like, she was so close. Sure. And that uh, I feel like this kind of made her a pretty lovable character. Like, that, uh, yeah, she's, like, someone, like, I really grew to like as a character. She's a likable character. And, yeah, the score probably added some drama. That's done by John Debney, who was nominated for an Academy Award for Passion of the Christ. Wow. He's, he's done a lot of big movies. Okay. Uh, Elf, Hocus Pocus, Spider-Man 2 and 3, Sin City. Damn. Uh, a lot of big titles. Okay. Um, so I think the score was, it wasn't amazing, but it was... Decent. It was good. It kind of was reminiscent of Marco Beltrami's yeah. stream score a little bit. Sure. Like string heavy and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, um, but yeah, so you think there's some tragedy there? I felt like yeah. Did I, we ever see any of the characters mourn the loss of the other characters? No, I don't think we did. Yeah. There's really that, a lot of character drama that could have been much more played out. I know. I, know. I mean, you could make that same complaint about Scream in many ways, but at least like mm. we have characters confronting the dead bodies of their friends and like having that moment yeah you know we don't see them for days mourning the loss of somebody because that's not really the way the plot works yeah but in scream there's more tragedy in scream though a lot of the murders of like close friends all like kind of happens towards the end in the third act so yeah Yeah. there's not time to mourn but we at least see that person's horrible demise and we see the main character come across that person yeah and, and experience that emotion right yeah and boy, talk about emotion and scream. That opening scene is where so much of the trauma, oh, yeah. the trauma lies. Right, right. With the mom, with the parents coming back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're not getting much of that here. And I, I think it is because like this is all happening on one day for the most part, except Max, who died like mm-hmm. a few days earlier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. So uh, yeah, I, 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 I thought that, that scene kind of held up, but uh, I, I hear a point still like that. Yeah, that it, it would have been nice to see her get sl- slid up a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what happens then? Okay, so then Julie finds Ray at the docks, and Ray, I feel like this whole time is being built up as like a red herring. Like yeah, Ryan been... Phillippe straight up accuses Ray of like yeah. you're the one who's doing this, right? Because they've all had like bigger shit happen, and all Ray got was a letter. <laughs> <laughs> and like yeah. Barry really plays off that. He's like, what? You <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's like, this is 100 percent you, Barry. Yeah, and but he like works out like Ray. a fishing dock. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so he's got a slicker. Yeah, so he's like, he's the got a hook. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Julie finds him and is telling him this discovery that we might not have killed David, uh, but um, it might be his father-in-law that killed him and who is after us because uh, David's wife had died in an accident or something, and I think David's father-in-law uh, held David responsible. So. Julie being the bright person she has has put all this together. She Yeah, I think she has a library and newspaper montage in here somewhere, <laughs> right. doesn't she? She does, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Ray like kind of holds his hand out to her, but then Julie sees that his name is named Baby Blue, or no, sorry, Billy Blue, which was the name that uh, David's sister said of the person who came to visit her after David's death. So suddenly like she throws that whole idea out of her mind and she's back to thinking Ray might be the killer, right? Yeah. Uh, so she runs away from him and is saved by a fisherman who like kind of pops up and knocks out Ray and says that she can go use the phone on his boat. 
she gets on the boat and realizes that the boat has a bunch of photos of her and her friends and that this is the boat of the killer and that fisherman who like took Ray down outside is actually the killer and it's revealed that it is uh, Ben Willis, the step- father-in-law of David, right? Yeah, or like the father of David's girlfriend who who died in a car crash while David was driving. Oh, oh, yeah. is his girlfriend not? Wife? I don't, I don't. Maybe they were married, but I thought he was just a girlfriend. girlfriend okay, girlfriend. Okay, got it. So he that night, I guess, had killed David, and then walking home after the kill, he got knocked out by these guys. Yes, but yeah. and then he didn't die, and now he's back killing them a year later. So a big showdown goes down on this boat, uh, but ultimately, uh, I think this is where she sees the bodies of her friends briefly, uh, and there's some screaming there. And then Ray shows up onto this boat, and they're able to use some kind of rigging device that pulls the killer up into the air and cuts his hand off and sends him flying into the water. The police show up, and they find the hand, but no body. What did you think of like this uh, scene? Was it climactic? Do you ever feel like quite a few times in your movie-going history, you'll have a scene where you're like, I don't know how boats work, but I'm guess I guess this is a thing that can happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's there's ropes and hooks, yeah, and you pull some things and makes other things right, happen. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I still really don't understand the whole pulley system. Yeah, though. right. These ropes are for yeah. Uh, sorry, what did you even ask? Me? Oh, was this like a climactic kind of face off with the killer? I think it was fairly climactic. I don't know that it was like awesome or well done. Uh, I don't know that like plot wise and and you know. The way the scene was written, I don't know that there's really any improvements that can be made, mm-hmm. but not necessarily super compelling. What, what about you? I feel like it dragged on for a bit and got a little repetitive. It did get like, a little repetitive. Maybe yeah. you're right. Okay, so maybe I'm wrong. I feel like there are two or three times where Ray would show up, try to help uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt screams, and like it distracts him, and then he like gets knocked out again. Yeah. And then there's like a lot of her like going through different rooms on the boat, which I'm generally not that interested in nautical things. So, uh, boats kind of, I feel like are boring, Okay. but, uh, I don't know, did, I, this felt like you were getting a tour of a boat and then just like going from deck to ice room, which do boats have, I guess they have ice rooms. I guess maybe they have ice rooms, um, yeah. to, to keep the fish cold. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. You're an anti-nautical <laughs> yeah, not, fallacist. Not my thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I think this might be a good opportunity not to like take all the wind out of the sails of the conclusion here. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about this yet. Jennifer Love Hewitt. This is a cleavage-heavy movie. Oh. And I, I, you know, we just criticized this movie for being misogynistic. Yeah. But I almost feel like it would be dishonest not to say how prominent cleavage is in this movie. And I think that's, like, part of its legacy, even, because, yeah. you know, two years afterwards, you have Maxim saying, like, she's the sexiest woman in the world. She became a sex symbol. Yeah. So much of this movie, she's wearing a very skimpy tank top. Wait, whose cleavage are you talking about? Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, okay, okay. Got it, yeah. She's wearing a very skimpy tank top, like... The entire movie, mm-hmm. uh, there's multiple like aerial shots, you know, like yeah. the, what are you waiting for type thing. Yeah. She climbs into, <laughs> I mean, she's in this skimpy tank top that's been showing her cleavage the whole movie. Yeah. And the, in the finale, of course, she climbs into a pile of ice cubes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it seems like they're really yeah trying to make this deliberately a cleavage <laughs> and boob forward <laughs> movie there are two characters in this film we haven't really called out that much (laughs) (laughs) right exactly (laughs) had a prominent role in the directing uh, yeah Yeah. so Uh, but also um there's another shot we're talking about that like research montage she where she finds out about this uh uh, billy blue how his girlfriend died in the car accident there's a shot in there and it's i even got the timestamp so people can go look at it if they want to (laughs) this movie's on netflix at an hour and 16 minutes and 30 seconds the camera 
does like what a dude does if he is caught looking at someone's cleavage. Like the camera's like <laughs> angled up above the computer, like looking yeah. down at her cleavage. Yeah. And she starts talking <laughs> and it drops really quick. It's like a pedestal shot where the camera drops down low and like tilts up at her face. Like, yeah. huh, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, That's it's incredible. something. I mean, oh you could God. maybe look at it and be like, no, Brian's crazy. But <laughs> I think like in the context of how like yeah. cleavage heavy this movie is, yep. it really seems like it's like, yeah, uh, it's out of place. That's hilarious, man. What, what, what's the time stamp? 116? 116.30. Okay, cool. I'll remember that. Yeah. Um, dude, you know, it's interesting because uh, I like watching this whole movie. I did get the impression that like, wow, uh, she's got, uh, she's like, yeah, she has like a big breast, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't feel like I saw a lot of cleavage. I thought it was mostly like I, I don't I don't recall her being like uh, in tank tops or like skinly dressed or anything. But I, I just feel like it was like in the back of my mind, like oh yeah, I guess uh, there's uh, a lot there. But I don't yeah, know. she's in a tank top with a sweater on nearly the whole movie, and okay. she takes the sweater off. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's why it stuck out so much in my head. It was like so it felt so deliberate. Uh-huh. She can't get the ice the door to the like ice room open. Oh. So she takes off her sweater oh. and uses it as like a pulley oh, to man. open the door. Uh-huh. Like she takes out the sweater to reveal the skink, skimpy yeah. tank top before she climbs into ice. Interesting. It just yeah. kind of felt like we are doing this on purpose. Yeah, yeah, really forced uh, in there. Yeah. Yeah, damn. I think yeah, once I got on the boat I just kind of like got bored. <laughs> right, you were just like, oh, yeah. boat stuff, boat stuff. Yeah, boat stuff. Yeah, you got to use a sweater to open that door. Sure, yeah, I guess that's, that's what, I guess what you're doing a boat. Yeah, nautical stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good point. Good call out that like that uh, has a big impact here on the film, uh, and like a clear focus of it, which is unfortunate, right? That like they would shoot it with like that angle or that lens. I mean, this is still something that's done, you know. And I feel like if all parties are like ready and willing to make that happen, then sure. Yeah, but yeah, I know, but like. Uh, I feel like they were definitely dialing up the sex appeal, like felt like they needed to for this film. Yeah. Uh, well, this is where you get some nuance too, is like we can like be people who are like, hey, like it's not cool. And like, yeah. But then like the, you know, third, we probably should educate ourselves on things like this, but I'm pretty sure third wave feminism is all about embracing like, mm. I can be like any, being a feminist means I can be anything I want to. If I want to like lean into being a sex. Sure. Symbol sex goddess yeah. yeah sex symbol then I have the right to do that yeah yeah I mean, for, for sure like if it's her choice to do that like right. yeah that, that's something but sure yeah here it kind of feels like it's like a male director it kind of feels yeah, yeah it feels a little different here but like she would lean into that a little bit in sure. her career yeah um, yeah and she I think she knew yeah sure sure that makes sense um so the movie ends with Julia now back at school she's back together with Ray it's like a complete 180 like she's reconciled with Ray and she's like really happy now probably doing well in school uh, and she is going to take a shower and she sees someone right on the door in steam. I still know. Is that what it says? Yeah. And then the movie ends with a, a figure breaking through the glass and the movie ends there, which I don't know. How do you feel? Cheap I ending. hated that ending. Yeah. It's so dumb. I, I, yeah, I've got on record before. Like, I hate when a movie ends with a jump scare. Yeah. It's dumb. It's dumb. Yeah. Not- and then like, it, I don't know if the sequel addresses that, but it's like, so what happened there? Did yeah. she just survive another attack from him? Right. Yeah. Also, twice they just assume if someone falls in the water, it means they're dead. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, <I know>. What? <laughs> the same mistake you, you got to do a little bit of a double tap situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that, that's kind of funny that, uh, again, a body goes missing. And yeah. Just uh, so, yeah, what did you think of the film? Do you like it? Didn't like it? Um, I think it's average. I think that there are certain elements that are good. Like, the kill scene with Helen Shivers was fun. Yep. And it's kind of a fun popcorn movie. It's competently done. The murder mystery element 
it works, mm-hmm. you know, and you are kind of invested in like, well, what's the situation here? But I think they really, and I know it's a slasher, but part of what Scream did was make it so that you could make slashers that actually had characters you're invested in. And it made, it added some depth to like the 1980s formulaic slasher film. It did, yeah. And this movie seemed like it tried to do that. or Like it wasn't willing to make carbon or cardboard cutouts, even though they kind of are. But it gives backstories and stuff. But then, like we said, it doesn't really touch on the fact that these friendships have fallen apart mm-hmm. and lives are ruined. And I think that was largely what the book was about, was how these people's lives collapse after in the, in the wake of the events of the car accident. Right. And so it just seems like that was a really missed opportunity. Even just like a few small scenes you could have put in there. Exactly. Um, to show like what they had lost like in their friendship. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it focused on like Julie and how she's become a different person. Right. And I... I I think it's cool that they focused on a main character and we were really, Julie was cleanly and clearly the main character. She was. But they weren't focusing at all on Julie's relationships. Right. Um, Either with Ray that much or with, I think it would have been really compelling if they had gone deeper into her relationship with Helen. Yeah, I think so too. That could have been a great like backbone to the film. Another thing they do with Julie is I'm pretty sure the first time she comes home from college after it's been established, okay, she's not doing well. They linger over a picture of her and her dad in her uh, house yeah and it's never once mentioned that her dad passed away right they her she never has a destruction with a, a conversation destruction <laughs> uh with ray or with helen about like ever since your dad died yeah, you know like really brought back yeah that could have really been easily weaved into yeah the relationship dynamics between the friends and totally. they even linger over the photo so right why did you do that I if know. you weren't going to do anything with it yeah that is really strange uh, I don't know if, if it's like to try to add like some nuance to her character or some depth, but yeah, it doesn't really uh, add much value there. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, or anything. Um, but I, I agree with you, man. Like uh, the relationships felt like pretty underdeveloped. And they, yeah, I even think about like it's like, I think that's like one thing that that movie did really well sure. is show like these, they were all friends earlier. And then now like there's like, yeah, they, they really missed uh, hitting on that yeah. point at all, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate. Um, you felt like, uh, like, yeah, did you feel like this really brought anything new that we hadn't seen? in the genre up until this point? No, I mean, I do think that both of these movies brought in the murder mystery element into slashers that would become, like, not, like, part of all slashers going forward, but, yeah, they kind of introduced, and who knows, maybe a big 80s slasher fan will tell us, like, nah, this movie did that. Yeah. But I don't think it was popular to do that until these movies. Sure. So I think that's its legacy, like, its legacy on art. (laughs) Right, right. Its legacy on pop culture was these these actors yeah and this the spoof of the scenes and everything yeah it's interesting because I, I feel like uh scream did that and did it really well then uh i think what makes this movie important is that it just copied that and showed like it's a copyable it, it, it proved like, the formula yeah it proved the formula yeah. yeah i don't think it was a good movie but it like kind of uh now you have two data points uh, sure right to return but I it made f- a business case for this type of movie yeah exactly and for horror again exactly yeah but i don't think it was like necessarily a great movie though uh, and I mean, like, you know, I don't even know, like, I feel like average even might be like a stretch. Like the directing was mm-hmm. kind of shitty. Yeah. Uh, the directing I'm, was poor. Directing was poor. I even thought, Jennifer Love Hewitt, I thought was terrible. Uh, what'd you think? She's pretty one note. And we had this conversation on discord. I can't remember the third actor that someone brought up, but her and Nev Campbell, and we said this on one of the scream episodes, they both came up in party of five. Okay. And Nev's a little older. So I wouldn't be surprised if Jennifer Love Hewitt was kind of looking at Nev. Mm. They have very similar acting styles, and Nev is a little better, but 
Jennifer Love Hewitt, it's not that it was a bad performance to me, but it was very one note. Mm. Uh, it was a lot of like arms like flailed out, like I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Rotating between two characters <laughs> and like pleading. Yeah. It, it was like the same emotion all the time for right, her. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe of, the script didn't give her much chance to do much else. Yeah, but, that could be it. Yeah. You didn't have like any deep dialogue scenes or anything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she switches between loving and fun type Julie. Yeah. And then like tragic what's going on. My, my hands extended. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, when is Loving and Fun Is that the beginning? Like the beginning, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. I, uh, and yeah. the end when she's on the phone. Right. In the towel with the cleavage. <laughs> know, Again, yeah. prominent cleavage. Cleavage, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, good, good call out there. Uh, yeah, I feel like Sarah Michelle Gellar was a, a lot more easy to kind of like uh, bond as a character. I like, think she gave the best performance. In I the think movie. so, yeah. yeah she was and Freddie Prince Jr. It was even pretty one note. Ryan Phillippe maybe had the most like to do. Mm-hmm. But he was just like so over the top as like, there's no nuance to this. It's like paper, yeah. like carbon copy asshole. Yep. And just some of the stuff he was saying, it was just like, this seems unrealistic. Like they're looking at the one guy in the yearbook who they think they might have hit in the car. Uh-huh. And uh, Ray is like, he doesn't look familiar. And Barry's like, that's because his face isn't splattered all over the road, dumbass. <laughs> and it's just like, are you serious? Like, that's what he would say right now? Yeah, yeah. And and then and then Barry just kind of like rolls his eyes at him. It's like, yeah, this is not very believable. You don't think so? Like a 17, 18 year old in like 1998? I guess, yeah, <laughs> like, maybe, maybe. He's just <laughs> so over the top. Yeah. The, the other over the top asshole was Helen's older sister. Oh my God. Total Elsa? jerk. Yeah, you just yeah. like, I assume they kind of made... Uh, Elsa and Barry as characters you were just rooting for, like wanting yeah, to die. Right, right. But then, I mean, Elsa really gets it. She gets it, so that, yeah. <laughs> but but Barry doesn't have a a fulfilling death scene. Right. I felt, felt I, I was conflicted with Elsa, because like, yeah, she's a terrible, like, sister, uh, but then it's tragic to, like, see your sister get murdered like that, uh, or, like, find her dead like that, and then, um, I don't know, like, I felt like there was some resentment there between her and, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar's character. Yeah, I guess, but man... Yeah, that was a, a weird character. Yeah, yeah, that was a weird one. Um, what about, like, uh, kill-wise, like, uh, yeah, not, the not great editing sequences? Yeah, I mean, Elsa's kill was decent. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly in that you see her, like, get hauled around with a hook. At, like, that was right. pretty grisly. Other than that, all the kills were un- underwhelming. Right, yeah. Um, some were somewhat suspenseful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But well, they were... They were it was just odd. It was yeah. strikingly odd how yeah. we cut, cut away from these kills. Yeah, I feel like we had one good kill and one good, like, cat and mouse suspense scene. Yes. Uh, yeah. And you had a movie kind of built around those. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you guess who the killer was going to be? Um, I actually forgot. I forgot who it was. So the mystery part was fun on for me on this yeah. rewatch. Because yeah. it is something that's kind of difficult to guess. You don't have enough information to actually guess. Right. That. That, that kind of bothered me that, because uh, like Scream and stuff, it's usually one of the characters you know or have been seeing on... So you could theoretically put it together if you wanted to. Yeah. But here, like, it's like a complete unknown that yeah. doesn't come until the end. Uh, what'd you think of, like, the costume design of the killer? Um, you know, it's pretty simple, but I think it's kind of effective. Yeah. And, like, they see him in the crowd sometimes, and it's a fishing town, so it's not yeah. necessarily unusual for a person to be in, like, a slicker, right. you know... Other near people. the docks exactly yeah yeah what did you think of that get up i liked it i thought it worked yeah cool. kind, of, kind of gave me uh like bloody valentine my bloody valentine type vibes yeah like, like, what else i think i mean we've already talked about it but the camera work really kind of fails sometimes mm-hmm. like it's decent and competent a good chunk of the movie but there's certain like glaring 
mistakes or like bad choices or things that seemed rushed. Yeah. And maybe it was rushed. It seemed like a quick turnaround. It was. Yeah. And editing too. It's just kind of bad. And and to back that up, Roger Ebert, he gave this one out of four stars (laughs) and he said, the best shot in this film is the first one. Not a good sign. (laughs) Oh, what? The guy on the cliff? That's the, it's like a helicopter shot uh, over the ocean. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like a, like a, push in on the cliffs oh, okay okay yeah, yeah it's like spanning over the <laughs> that's unfortunate the landscape that's the best shot of the film yeah <laughs> yeah I, I don't think this film uh yeah directorial wise nothing really stood out there no i mean it, it, there's there's fun to it and stuff but it leaves a lot to be desired mm-hmm. a lot of opportunities that are missed right it could right. have been a much better movie i agree i agree also the script like the murder the mystery element of it was fun but the script was kind of i mean it was written years earlier so i think kevin williamson kind of honed his craft a bit but oh okay it left a little something to be desired the dialogue specifically yeah yeah dialogue was kind of weak yeah it was so how many uh severed fisherman hands would you give this one i give it two and a half severed fisherman hands Mm. one other interesting thing i just saw in my notes that we didn't bring up was a tv critic talked about how like this is a best uh step backwards for williamson but i uh, i don't think that knowledge was out there at the time that he had written it before Scream. Yeah. And then that got me thinking, I wonder if he was able to lampoon the genre so much because he wrote a pretty much paint-by-number slasher. Like, I wonder if writing I Know What You Did Last Summer mm-hmm. allowed him to so effectively mock the genre. Oh. Because he was really in it. You yeah. know, when he was writing the script, I'm sure he was, like, deep in the tropes of the genre, watching old movies. Right. And, like, trying to recreate those tropes on yeah. paper. So he was very familiar with the tropes, and maybe that helped him write a stronger script for Scream. So interesting, yeah. Because that's like what was so cool about the Scream franchise, it like kind of makes fun of it. And this one, yeah. you don't get any of that humor, right? Yeah. About it, yeah. yeah. So in this one, he did it straightforward, and then yeah. the next one, he's like, I'm going to make fun of everything I just did, but yep. I'll also like, do it again. Yeah, that makes sense. And that that is like a much better formula than mm-hmm. trying to like just kind of recreate it. So it's everything. interesting to think. You don't think about it that way, but maybe we have I Know What You Did Last Summer to thank for Scream. Yeah. Retroactively. Yeah, especially since it was written prior to this one. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. I think I would appreciate it more if like, yeah, this had come out before or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a good point. Good validation. Uh, all right, well, cool. Um, so oh, yeah, two and a half. Uh, that's what I had as well. Two and a half severed fisherman hands. Uh, so shit, we're still pretty close along. One there. of these days we'll disagree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, that, uh, that sounds, uh, about right. And, um, what do you think? Is it still like an important film people need to go back and see? Uh, is it like a big part of our pop culture that's worth a revisit for people or? You know, I think for the younger generation, it's, it might be a good popcorn movie to turn on one night. I don't think it's important. I don't think it's a required viewing. It was important historically, I guess, but its legacy on its artistic legacy isn't strong enough that it like required viewing. Right. You know? Right. It's an important part of the story for horror. Yep. But it's not required. Viewing. It's not an important part of the. I agree. Legacy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's not required viewing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so either. Uh, well, cool. All right. Well, that is it for our discussion then. Anything else you got? That's it. All right. That's going to wrap up our discussion on, I know what you did last summer. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to give other people a chance to find our show, and we always welcome the feedback. If you want to join our discussion, you can find the social links on Horror Movie Club or shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We'll announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We also are on Discord, where we're chatting up with a few other horror fans, so you can find that link on our website. Uh, We have a Patreon page, which has some bonus content. 
uh, a lot of uh, fun episodes and uh, different takes on. What, do we have like any like, any top lists on there? Or we got like some background on the show mm, and stuff. We got right? some background on the show. Some person we share some personal stuff on it. Yeah, yeah. So you can get access to that for as little as well, like two or three bucks a month. Or you can do a dollar a month. Oh yeah. Cool. You could even do a dollar and then drop off. Right, right. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, some fun stuff on there. And then our logo is by Amy May Popart. You can check out her website on Etsy.com, and there's some cool horror movie club merchandise too, if you should uh, be interested. Uh, until next time, if you're a cameraman uh, doing a major production. Uh, do all your breast gazing before the film actually starts so you don't get caught with your uh, camera in the wrong <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> okay, okay.